Um, Desiree Pillay, it is an honor. It is a privilege. I, I would spend about five minutes giving you this great pep talk about uh, how amazing you are as an individual and how I randomly stalked you on Facebook. You know, I always have that thing where I'm, I'm quite a stalker. You know, first of all, million beautiful pieces seem to me very, very intriguing. So I inquired, I inquired, I inquired, and then I was like, hello, Desiree, my name's Ryan. I'm sure you thought at some stage that now I'm not interested. Please just leave me alone. Don't tell me about crypto. Don't tell me about Forex. But it's a beauty in finding stories. That, that, that's my art. So uh, I thank you once again for taking the time to unpack your story. It's truly inspiring. So for the growing audience that's out there, who is Desiree Pillay in a nutshell? I'm just a girl that's trying to do life in a way that respects everybody's story, no matter what it looks like. I think that's what I've learned from my own story. And that's why a million beautiful pieces, because I can tell you all the, the, I can show you all the scars and tell you those stories, but I can also say from those scars, what really made me who I am basically. So I'm just trying to, trying my best to, to be a witness to people's suffering and joy and to let them know it's okay. We can do both. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Goosebumps already. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> um, so one thing I was really intrigued about was the a, a million beautiful pieces. Where did that first come? Uh, where was that first conceived? Because when I looked more into that, not only the writing, but the, the story behind it, I know that in your short story, which is available in this link below here, and it, like I said, to those that haven't seen it, please give it a watch and just f find the power in words and that we that we all have. This lady is true testament that power in words does exist. Um, but the million um, beautiful pieces, because in itself, it's like almost fragmented, but it comes together to be to form something beautiful. How was that conceived? I love that you picked that up, that it's fragmented and it's come together. It's was I always knew I was going to write. I love writing. And um, one day, please, God, there will be space in my life to actually write a book, to write a story. I have two or three manuscripts on the go, um, but it's but I'm, I'm very patient. Uh, where a million beautiful pieces particularly came from was I have three kids and um, my husband and I have been raising them and they're now almost grown. But during the journey of parenthood, um, my eldest daughter Savannah is a person with a disability and she was born when I was 18 years old. Um, I was a teen pregnancy and was married and divorced by the age of 21. So it was like spectacular. There was that story. And then being Savannah's mom, being um, a mom, to, a young mom to a child with a disability, not knowing my way, there was lots of trauma in where I come from, my family story. Um, then meeting my husband, marrying Michael, so second marriage, and then having the other two children, Talisa and Eli, raising them. And always being this person that was just speaking on those issues, but always feeling embarrassed and ashamed that I am here and that I am present. But the more I started speaking, people would often say to me, you know, you must tell your story, your story, you must write your book, you must, people must know this. And I kept thinking, which 
but like which story do you tell being abused do you tell the story of being a teen mom do you tell the story of um growing up with trauma you know having a child with a disability um you know raising a family in this day and age with all the challenges which story wow and that's so a lot of, hence, that is a lot of chapters <laughs> it's a lot of chapters and i'd often say to people when they're like please come and talk i'm like which part be very clear <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> because it's a lot right it's mm. too much so that's where a million beautiful pieces came from it gives me the freedom to tell different parts of the story and in the five years that i've been blogging it's also helped me to figure out which parts of my story i am most passionate about and where my energy should be yeah, I, 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 look like i said it's just i find every element of it in its entirety traumatic first of all teen pregnancy i know that there's it's a current struggle today i mean my mother-in-law mm. was also uh, she can relate to that 16 and pregnant uh we mm. talk about uh, abusive relationship i mean that's ever more present today we talk about yeah. um raising kids with disabilities the uh, one of the also most inspiring uh, people person i've met uh megan choco donors who i published last week that's mm. a blind goddess um about how not only raising kids with disabilities is a challenge itself but how society marginalizes the disabled kids and the struggle not only being disabled but trying to integrate into it so i'm i'm saying that there is there's so many different elements mm -hmm. that we can discuss but one thing i wanted to chat to you about when i first met you and i first spoke to you you i would never ever ever presume that your life had been filled with so much trauma but you get to a, pay, a place of foundation and a place of where you're at peace that itself must have been if you look back at it now it must have been an awesome journey but a journey that itself was tough yeah i think you know trauma is in whatever form is always hard because it's an injury right it's an injury to your heart, to your soul, to who you are. And when it's not recognized and when it's minimized, it's up to you to figure it out. But you have no skills, no tools. And in many of our communities, the people around us don't want to face it either because mm -hmm. then that means, that means responsibility. It means being complicit. It means a whole lot of other things for them. And often with women, particularly, I mean, you know, six-year-old girls, we would think nothing of saying to them to look after your baby brother. It's very rare you'd say to a six-year-old boy, you know, look after your baby sister. We're doing mm. it a little bit more now, mm. but we kind of expect a lot from, from women. And for me, from early on, I remember despising my gender because I already understood what it took to be a girl. By the time I was seven, I knew that by virtue of my gender, life was going to be much tougher for me than it was for my brothers. And not that anybody said anything. Mm. It was just a lived experience. But, but, but then it's, I, it's, it's, it's seven years old. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that, that, but I'm saying that's also for a seven-year-old to process that, 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 that itself is... That's tough. It is. And I often think back, there were specific moments in my life where I, 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 heard, I heard something from within me. I knew 
this was definitely right or this was definitely wrong or I knew I was definitely lost. I was saying to someone the other day, I specifically remember arriving at a point in my teenagers and looking at the brokenness around me and the people who are meant to help me make the right choices for my future mm. were so complicated and confused in themselves that mm. I remember thinking, okay, Desiree, the best choice to make is for the greater good of everybody. Mm. You can survive this. You don't have to worry about yourself. And so even when I had my daughter, the choices I was making at that point was what is good for everyone else in this situation. Yeah. And it took bizarrely took knowing that she had a disability that I suddenly had this feeling. It felt like I would go to war mm. of no ways, no ways is she going to now follow the same thread of having to deal with trauma quietly, secretively as if it's her fault because it's not. And she raising Savannah she forced me to confront myself mm -hmm. and not that when you when you're a broken person raising a child it's not like you're you're healed and you're making the best choices you're still trying to work out who you are and, and know what to do with the plethora of, of information and struggle as a parent to a child with a disability because you're trying to make sense of what they need and who they mm -hmm. are they're not like your friend's kid you know wow. it's a totally different thing but in my determination to make sure that Savannah was Savannah and not seen from this trauma background mom, that I wanted her to be her own person. It just forced me to want to seek my own healing. And not that it's that that was even conscious, right? I mean, mm -hmm. when we go through healing, it's not even a case of we know we want to be better, but we don't even know how. Yeah. And and sometimes in circumstances, especially with a lot of women, when we want to heal, it also then means we have to confront relationships within our family context, within our social circle, and people blame us for that. So the step towards acknowledging the trauma and healing was, was also a secondary trauma of losing people, of walking away from relationships, of changing the way I saw things, which now meant it moved me out of certain communities. Mm. Um, and so there's, you know, all of that grief that goes with that too. But I loved being a mom so much. And I, I got the idea of generational trauma because mm. that's the other thing we carry yeah. with us, right? 100%. I just got it. Evangelia um, Makwakwaf, even from episode 11, said also with money, we spoke about money and how trauma is passed down from generation to generation. But I also believe yeah. our emotions are also... And so when when that news was first announced that, you know, that because uh, what, what exactly is a diagnosis? So my eldest daughter is diagnosed as a person with cerebral palsy, which is a physical disability. It means that there was an injury to her brain and that affects her muscle motor function. And then her second diagnosis is being autistic, which was only made when she was eight years old. And that means even if she did not have the injury to the brain, her brain is wired differently. So the way the brain is, my brain and your brain would be wired pretty much the same, but in hers, it's wired differently. So she is a person with multiple disabilities. Um, I didn't obviously know that when she was born. I didn't know anything when she was born. 
Um, but I think what happens is when you are when when I knew now, so pregnancy, now I'm having a child, and then I have the child, and she has a disability, and I also go through a marriage and a divorce in that period. Um, I think one of the biggest things and why I'm passionate about girls today is the lack of information and that the world positions to us, your life is over. Mm. Nobody actually said to me that out of this, something amazing can still happen. Mm. And actually one person did say to me, but the person who said it to me then tried to tell me how to live small so that I wouldn't be a problem to everybody mm. else yeah. and that I can not be an embarrassment. And so the beauty that could come out of this is that I'll just live small and mm. live but, on but the kind side. of like in, in the shadows that it doesn't become main, yeah, that it doesn't become mainstream because that is exactly also what um, Megan was mentioning is that almost it, it uh, marginalizes you from society when we're saying but you know, what, where's the integration happening? Um, yes. But, um, but at the same time as well, what you preach on though as well is that also to yes, what was the one that I wrote down now is when it you know you dance in the rain, you see the lemons, but it's okay to cry. That's what Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, but, absolutely. When, but, but that to me is like the, the beauty in it is to say, but it almost goes bigger and better than society and anyone that's really involved in it it's it's a humankind it's a human spirit aspect which to me is the real beauty and strength drawn from it because i'm sure from your journey when you first heard the news it was, must have been crippling it must have gone through a million and one different emotions but at the same time it, 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 it has probably made you one of the most strongest people i know or just objectively and there's again looking at and finding if it wasn't for savannah I wouldn't be the woman who I am today. Absolutely. When people say to me, well, actually, my, my second daughter, Talisa, says she doesn't ever just go out and discloses, you know, I have a sister with a disability because she says other siblings don't pitch up and say, I have a sibling with brown eyes. So that's mm. the first thing. Like It's not. But she also says it, that she doesn't like it when people go, oh, shame. Because it's not a shame, mm. you know, 20 years ago, 26 years ago, when Savannah was born in the community I was in, yes, it was a shame. Those circumstances to them was a shame. But mm. Savannah gave me my career. Savannah mm. gave me, she, she opened by virtue of her life, doors have opened to me into places and people and experiences that I would never have even known existed without mm. Savannah. And yes, you know, the, the, the acceptance part is very difficult. I, I work with parents now whose kids are newly diagnosed, um, where I'm just absolutely a listening ear and just help them to find the vocabulary to ask the questions that they want to ask. That's, that's what I do with a lot of families. I'm not a counselor. I want to make that clear. I'm not a psychologist. I'm just <laughs> someone who's walked the path. And so when parents speak to me, it's like they feel, people feel guilty for having feelings of grief, of shame, of embarrassment, of anger, of confusion. Mm. But that is a human experience and that's okay. You're not betraying your child by having a human experience. What happens is, and what I've learned in my life, is in as much as I had to meet Savannah's needs, I had to meet my own. So I, ha I had to deal with my embarrassment, shame, whatever, whatever people put on me. I, and it's also other people's stuff. It's not, you know, if you think back to being a kid 
most of what you're living to is not stuff you innately know. It's everybody's telling you, don't, don't do, do this way. Then you'll be accepted. And you're never actually told, sit still. What, what, what do you want in the next moment? And how can I help you get there? Mm. And that's literally what Savannah taught me because I had to do that for her. I had to be like, okay, girl, I do not get it. <laughs> I don't understand what you need. This mm. is, I don't, I don't, there was no, you know, when she was born, there wasn't the internet. You, when you picked up the phone to make a call, you had to think about how much you were going to pay for that at mm. the end of the month. We didn't oh, have wow. WhatsApp calling. And mm. so every call you made, you had to know what you wanted to ask. You had to be very clear and you had to be ready to be disappointed, put the phone down and go through your list of schools of therapists. And they were like 10 at that mm. point, you know, and that was your choices and deal with your grief by yourself because you've used your call to get help for your child. You can't now phone a friend and cry on the phone for mm. 15 minutes or whatever. Mm. And I think it was in that, in in meeting her. But I also want to say, genera- we spoke about generational, generational trauma. There's also something I believe, generational blessings. So my paternal grandmother, when Savannah was born, Savannah was her first great grandchild. And of course, Savannah was born under this cloud of shame because I was a teen pregnancy, unmarried, mm. blah, blah, blah. But my granny gave me dignity. My granny saw me. She had a child that was different. And even though Savannah wasn't diagnosed at that point, I think my granny somehow knew. And she just said to me, look after this baby because God's got his eye on her for a special reason. And she was unique in that she was never ashamed of me being with her in public places. She wanted to show her grandchild off. And I think that was the first person that um, that really made me see life differently. And so I honor my granny. Like every every year that I live through, I think of her. And I think when you say I'm strong, she lived through a lot of stuff. That lady, she she went through quite quite a lot. Um, but I think I get it from her, <laughs> the mm. generational blessing. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But it's also to look at it from an from an outlook point of view and say. We can look at this two ways. We can look at it negatively or we can look at it positively. It was amazing that you touched on the word dignity as well, because that also came up in our conversation last week Mm. with Megan. Um, That whole recognizing, um, that whole validating, that whole inclusion, that it's humankind. It's not you different than me. That to me is a a key word in in integration um, and acceptance is um we we we're all humans you know everyone's got their own flaws yes some have got disabilities but at the end of the day we are we are all human absolutely i think also what really helped me when savannah was little a friend of mine said to me desiree we are all disabled in some way we all have Mm. some kind of disability Mm. most of us just know how to cover it up well yeah and that was that was quite opening and interesting but also i don't want to negate the enormous challenge that people who are diagnosed with disabilities have by just saying that, but it did help me to understand that I'm not, you know, I'm not God unto Savannah. I'm not better than her. Mm. They are Savannah's life is, is about, she's a, she has her own story to tell. Mm. And, you know, somebody said to me also recently, Oh, you know, Savannah's your purpose. And this is why God gave her to you. And actually, no, no, and I'm not her purpose. We are two girls 
that get to do life together. We're mm. two women that get to show up for each other. Um, a third person actually said to me when Savannah was little, um, she said, we, we're Christian, so we, we, we you know, believe in, in um, Jesus. And she said to me, Desiree, when you start seeing Savannah as your sister in Christ and not somebody that needs to be fixed, that's when the game changed, will mm-hmm. change. And the game changed yeah, and because it that's, and it, that's and what it, it was. And it doesn't matter what anyone else, because does do the opinions of others actually really matter? If you were mentioning it, you were mentioning it earlier, you know, it had to come at a sacrifice, but it's almost you as yourself in your self-acceptance journey have to decide which tribe do I want to form. Absolutely. And it's a painful experience that because we all want to belong, right? And we want to belong more and more now in this day and age with the social media pressure. Um, people want to belong and be seen in very specific types of groups. And when they make it into those groups, then they feel I'm okay. But when you have teen pregnancy as your identity, you have a child with a disability as your identity, you have divorcee as your identity, you have um, sexual abuse as your identity, who's opening the, the doors mm-hmm. for you there? Like people don't want that, you know, they want this look of perfection. But actually, how many people have some element of those issues somewhere in their lives? Mm. So I think that that was for me a big part of wanting to heal, that I did not want to hide and belong in places where it was too hard for me. And actually, I did try not not so long ago. Um, so when I was young, I used to model. My parents loved um, pageants. So I, I was in a couple of pageants and then, you know, teen pregnancy. So everyone around me, the opinions of everyone around me was I missed my shot. Mm. Um, they had it in their head that I could have been a Miss South Africa. So it was always repeated to me throughout my parenting journey. I missed my shot. You know, I should have my life could have looked like this but now it looks like this. So I entered a pageant for five years ago, but the prize in that pageant was a business. And I was hoping that if I could win the business, then we could have an income to help Savannah because she's 26 now, this year she's 26, then she was 22, uh, 21, 22. So it would just help with her now as she gets older as an adult. And I got into the top 100 and a day later I knew this was not for me. And it was so interesting, I sat there like all my life thinking, because I've heard it over and over, you've missed it, you missed your shot, you missed your shot. No, years ago. I got the shot. And mm. I was like, I don't want this. <laughs> I don't want this. <laughs> it was so fascinating. I, I didn't like being photographed. I didn't like the social media. I, I'm not a selfie girl. Mm. Um, I just, I like, I'm the, my, my husband, Michael, says I have a neon sign that only people in trauma can read that says tell me your story Mm. i'm that girl like you know i'll stand in the queue waiting for my license my car license and there'll be a long queue but i won't be stressed because i'm going to know five people when i walk out of there and i'm going to know their story you know it's like you ryan (laughs) 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 but it's also the gift that you've that you've learned to develop as well. Um, Obviously with Savannah, it's that subservient uh, approach of putting others first above your own personal needs, but you've actually almost found power and passion in that, uh, obviously ticking the right passion bone in your body, that it's actually quite empowering and um, and validating your own personal journey is to help others 
uh, not only from the, the helping them from the trauma because you lived through it, but helping them develop into something more beautiful than they actually think they are. Definitely, I I, I feel like, um, and it sounds odd, but you know when you when 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 we, we do the work and we face our stuff, like I own not only do I own the hard stuff, but I own my my role in the hard stuff. I know the decisions I made that led to all of whatever was happening in my life at that point, even when I was a child. So while there was at some point, there were things that were not in my control, but there were points that there were things that I could have done differently. And that's my accountability to myself. Not, mm-hmm. I don't need to have anybody else kind of stamp that. But when you get there and then you remove the sting of that, it's then I don't I don't have a and and I thank God for this I don't have an outcomes based approach in relationships mm. so I don't need to walk with somebody and then you have to now have made several right turns for me to still be in your life no you're you're figuring out who you are you're discovering who you are. And I know what that feels like. I'm still discovering who I am. You know, I've got a mm. 26-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a, and a 14 turning 15-year-old. My husband is seven years older than me, so we're slightly in two different generations. Mm. So I'm learning all the time. I'm learning the kind of wife I need to be. I'm learning the kind of mom I need to be to three people. In diff- I'm discovering me too. Is that, so is, when is, that, is that also because you're focusing on your core, your tribe, uh, getting the elements of family I think to me, I always relay it back to starting at home, getting that base right, identifying where what your family is, where how you fit into that, and getting those dynamics right first. Because I would presume in a lot of broken homes and a, a broken society, the fundamentals of home, s- secure, stable, are missing. Definitely, I think when you come from it, you know what not to do, right? So I, when people say to me you know, your kids are lovely and wonderful, or, you know, how do you do this parenting stuff? I didn't know, I knew what not to do, but I didn't know what to do always, you know, and that's also important to understand. But I have always, because I knew what not to do, I knew how to be present for my children. I knew how to see them individually. So they are not, you know, they've broken the mold where many families with a child with a disability, um, sometimes they, it's hard to, to not to, to not let the rest of the family be defined by the person with a disability. And that was one of my goals for both my husband and I, that each of our kids were, were going to be seen uniquely for who they were. So when people say to me, you know, Savannah's your blessing. She's an angel. God created especially for you. So too are my other children. They are also blessings. They're also uniquely and wonderfully made. And equally, they all have stuff that are not always great. They mm. challenge me in different ways, you know? So I think that's where it comes from when I look at other, and I look at my kids this way, they're discovering themselves. And my worth, who I am as a parent is not found in how successful they are by the standards that the world is setting. Mm. I am Desiree. I have been gifted three children with my husband. We are all discovering who we are with our own brokenness stuff. And we are giving each other a lot of grace. And Mm. we're saying, whatever you're going through, I'm here for you. Mm. I don't agree with you. 
my husband and I are both very opinionated people. We're very <laughs> strong heads, very strong heads. And so we don't always see the same picture, but we are very loyal mm. and we understand that we're not perfect at, at, at this grace thing. The key thing that you mentioned there earlier is how many of us, society, community, country, don't actually listen. They don't spend the time to actually literally sit and listen. Well, I think, you know, that's the biggest challenge we all face because we're in a world that is asking for an outcome or is driven for what we're going to do next, say next, be next. And to actually just sit quietly and listen to yourself, to hear what you're fearing, what you're anticipating, is this realistic for your circumstance? It's one of one of the conversations I end up having frequently with parents is, you know, I can't afford this therapy for my child, but they say this therapy is going to help my child. And usually it's because the parent has only been told of that therapy. So the next step is to say, have you looked at other options and then open that door to them? And if you cannot afford those options, what does that mean? You know, so do you need to fundraise or do you need to realign your expectations? Because everything we do in life, whatever choices we make, there is definitely a cost to it, whether that's mm. financial, whether it's capacity, emotional. whether it's loss of a dream, emotional, whatever. Mm. And so when you start unpacking that, then even in that space, parents start realizing that actually me first showing up, understanding, accepting who I am and who my child is, is the first step. And when we can respect each other mutually in that, then the decisions I'm making is not a fix. It's not a frantic, if I don't do this, you know. And it's not a one I fit all. It's not a one fit all. Yes. Mm. Yes, so, exactly. So, so what is the first step to the self-acceptance? I think the first step to self-acceptance is acknowledging that there are these issues, whatever they may be in, in, in a person's life. I think that is a big part of it because so many of us do not acknowledge. It's so easy to just go into your day mm. and say, put that aside. I can't deal with that now. I'm just going to, these are the things I need to do. Mm. And to stop and acknowledge this is affecting you, Desiree, or because of that thing, this is why you are struggling you know, I mean, I had this just, I'll give you a good example. I had this just yesterday. A friend of mine wanted to take Savannah um, to watch gymnastics. So Savannah is very interested in gymnastics. She does use a wheelchair. She can walk, but she needs assistance. She is safer in a wheelchair, but she's completely fascinated with gymnastics. So she watches gymnastics on YouTube, but a friend offered to take her to watch her own daughter in a gymnastics class. And when she asked me, my brain was filtering this is great this is wonderful for savannah but the second part of my brain was filtering an episode that happened when savannah was about three when i'd left her with somebody it was an emergency and i needed to take my other daughter no she wasn't three she was about six sorry i needed to take my other daughter to the doctor and savannah had a meltdown and this lady said to me when i got back she said oh my gosh she's a devil child and I, it was so bizarre because it happened so long ago. I've met so many trigger. people in between. It was a trigger. So this friend wanted to take Savannah to do a wonderful thing. She knew nothing of that experience. And I was so tempted to say no. 
because I was afraid that if Savannah had a meltdown, she was going to reject my child and not understand. And I literally had to like take a breath and remind myself who who was asking me, who I was now, who Savannah was, all the the times we've spent with this friend and that it was going to be okay. And if Savannah did have a meltdown and if this lady did say that too, then it was just going to reveal to me, okay, this is not a safe space for us. But that didn't happen. They had a fantastic time. Yeah. And <laughs> they are now making arrangements for a sleepover. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. For people that, yep. come, that people that come from trauma, those trigger points, it's very, uh, they will always, I mean, I'm sure there's been uh, moments in your life from the abusiveness, from everything, all the other elements of trauma that also have laid it. Jeez, you've got, you must have a lot of triggers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So as you said, it's a mechanism because people can either fall back into that, that, that environment or that tribe or that space that, that open up all these scars and that, but for anyone that is going through a similar journey that you went through, whether it be a teen pregnancy, whether it be uh, a, a, a parent to a disabled child, um, what would you, how would you advise them to put in mechanisms to make them be able to cope uh, and look at it from a positive point of view? I think the first thing is to really ask themselves what's informing what they're feeling because that's important. Even trauma is one part of what we experience, but the other part is our belief system. So if we have whatever whatever our, our belief system is, whatever religion or how people live their lives by a moral code, you know, some people say, if I do good, I get good or whatever. Um, so how is that impacting how you are accepting this emotion, this news, this event, um, what, what is happening in your family. And if it's not helping you, then that is something you need to actually unpack with a counselor, with a psychologist, with your religious leader, because that is vital. And I find that repeatedly over and over. Whatever conversation I'm having with anybody, whatever their, their struggle is, it always comes back to their belief system, their foundational mm. belief system mm. that will inform their right or wrong, their good or bad, their yes or no. And so that's a very important part to to actually get to. To if it's if it's a religious belief system, then unpack that, mm. and where is it taking you? For myself, where I got to was I learned in in the Bible in Philippians four. Um, there's a verse that says, "Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are lovely, um, there there are eight things altogether." And it ends with think on these things. So I filter through that. Is this mm. true in this moment? Is this right? Can this person do this to me? Is this a good thing? Is the intention behind this good? And once I had to practice that, and I've been practicing that for, for a long time, I don't always get it right, but it helps inform how I'm going to respond to a trigger, to mm. an emotion, to a news, a piece of news, emotion. And it also frees me to know that even though some events are out of my control and are happening to me, mm. I still have choices. I have choices here. I, ch I can choose how to respond, you know. And and, 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 and you can take your time in processing it. It doesn't need to be absolutely. immediate. That ability no. to actually almost step out of that zone to objectively time yourself out, I would presume is also key in the process. 
it's key in the process, but I'm also, you know, while I speak, I'm, I'm remembering the girl who lives in the informal settlement where, you know, even stepping out of that means just stepping into bustle and noise and mm. and clutter sometimes. And that's even for families living in a different kind of situation. The bustle, the clutter, the noise. So how do you be logical or how do you give yourself time in those moments? And that's why we say, first, you just breathe. Mm. You just remind yourself that you're breathing. You're alive and you are here and you are breathing. And then make the next right choice, the next best choice in that moment. If you're in a situation where somebody's angry and you can tell this is the, the, the mood of this home, this place, this whatever, don't meet it with anger because that's what it's looking for. Mm. All negativity is looking to be met with negativity. Mm. Rather, don't meet it at all. You don't have to be anything. You don't have to be joyful, happy. You don't have to meet that person's stuff. Mm. You can just not respond. It's okay. So I think those are bits. Um, I like to encourage people to do some journaling. I think journaling is helpful because you can have something to record on, whether it's your device, whether it's you know a notebook, anywhere, anytime. But to record how you feel in that moment mm. means you put it somewhere. But if yeah. you hold it in you and you don't acknowledge it, it's going to inform choices. It's going mm. to inform your next moment, your next thing. Um, and that's a big thing. And then, you know, they, I do encourage people to look for resources for mental health. Um, we all can't afford a counselor. We all can't afford a psychologist, but there are free resources um, available in this country. And it's important for people to be invested in themselves enough to do that Google search. You yeah. know, we search for other things, right? <laughs> <laughs> we search for, Absolutely. For exactly. So, TikTok stuff just, and stuff that actually is rotting our yeah. brain. So, since, since out of all the trauma that's happened in your life and you put that all into a jar or a frying pan or however you want to put it. Yes. From that moment, from a young seven-year-old girl to where you are now, what has been one of the greatest lessons that you have learned about yourself personally? That I was always okay. I was always okay. And I think that has been a painful reality to learn. I've only come to that maybe in the last year or two. Um, but all of these things that society, family, culture wanted me to be, I never needed to be anything else. I just needed to be me. And I think that was my, my greatest lesson. And I say that very much aware of the person that taught me that, which was Savannah and still is. Because, you know, just what you've just said now about us, you know, seeing each other and, and just acknowledging she, Savannah does not, Savannah does not see herself as different. She, when we go out and she sees somebody in a wheelchair, she wants to, when we come home, she prays for that person. She, in our house, we have jokes, Talisa, the second one is, is much shorter. And Savannah says that Talisa is the one with the disability and not her. Um, she has Sorry. no... Yeah, because the, 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 yeah. uh, Megan also made a joke. She said, no, the, temp the, temporary, the temporary abled, you know, as if yes. to say, yeah. 
it's it's absolutely true that's that's what you know savannah never needed me if you put it down on paper how could i have been a mom to a cp autistic la- young lady as i was 18 years old i knew nothing i was confused and complicated how could i have been her mom so who actually helped who here you know and wow. so i was always okay <laughs> so i think that's the fundamental for me and that's why i can't see the world because savanna doesn't see me as better than her she mm. doesn't see me as an ideal she doesn't look at her sister and think when i grow up i want to be you mm. she's like perfectly happy yeah. with who she is and how she exists in the world it's the world's the way the world is structured that mm. makes life challenging for her so what she does so not what world make are you life yeah. challenging. so what world Just are our we society. creating yeah so what yeah. world are we are we are we creating to have these type of forums and discussions and open it up i think is what we've got to question ourselves and say how are we creating these environments and that's why i said i I've got to get this conversation but i could literally go on for days on end with you because it's real and it's meaningful it's impactful yeah. but Desiree Pillay from a million beautiful pieces man it is i think it's more than a million i think we're talking about a billion um <laughs> it's a small little pockets of, of positivity and i think that you are an amazing individual um and i'm so i so i know it sounds weird but the fact that i stalked you and found you <laughs> has been one of the greatest stories uh, <laughs> one of my greatest finds because I know that your story is is amazing and it's touching and it'll give a lot of substance to a lot of parents and individuals that are maybe going through or have also walked through the same journey you have everything will be all right there's beauty in every process and be grateful uh, for everything we have so god bless you for the work that you do i'm wishing you nothing short of happiness and success for everything that you and your family uh, have going forward and Oh man, thank you so much. I really did enjoy the, the conversation. Thanks Ryan and thank you for this platform. I think it's awesome that you've taken this opportunity to look for people and stalk them on Facebook <laughs> <laughs> and to bring all these stories out. I think you know you invest a lot of your time in this and so God bless you in that. And just for your listeners, I just wanted to say you know we're all learning together we all don't get it right um but i know people with disabilities like some people like that person first language we didn't or we don't always get that right so some people will say i prefer to be known as um so and so with cerebral palsy so savanna is she says i i'm a person with cerebral palsy and autistic so she doesn't say she's with autism um but many people will say i am a person with a disability so person first language um so just for your learn for your listeners um just going forward this is an a, a moment we can we can educate people together um that's that's kind of just helpful that i just know from people with disabilities um a, a phrase that they prefer to use so i hope even that has been something that can be a takeaway today too